0: Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Mike Moraski. He is a 30 plus year real estate investment veteran and has controlled over $285 million in real estate transactions. So, thank you so much for being on the show today, Mike.
0: Hey, thanks, Charles, for having me. I appreciate it. So,
1: give us a little background on yourself, both uh, personally and professionally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing.
0: Okay. Um, geez, personally, nobody ever asks that. Kind <laughs> of interesting, you know? Hey, uh, grew up uh, in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago you know, middle-class lifestyle, came from a family background that uh, my parents were not entrepreneurs, don't know where I got the bug, Uh, didn't know about real estate, you know, weren't big real estate people at all, was never really talked about. I don't know where I got the bug, (laughs) but uh, I kind of do know where I got the bug. And, you know, just quick story, I think I was eight years old sitting on the side of a swimming pool with my dad. We were on vacation. At a resort and i remember asking my dad about all the rooms around the around this mm. pool the hotel and he said in his infinite wisdom because he didn't know anything he <laughs> said people come and stay here and they pay the owner money and at that point i knew i wanted to be the owner getting paid all the money so <laughs> i think that's where i got the bug from
1: nice uh,
0: i you know i've been an entrepreneur Since my 20s, I I would work for people and I would go, God, I could do this better than you. And, you know, it just was something innate inside of me that that said, go do it yourself. And I wound up going into um, my first business. Um, I was in the swimming pool business of all things. I'm in Chicago, so uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've never been in the pool business in the Midwest, but it's kind of a tough business to be in in the wintertime. And I was in the uh, pool business. I couldn't keep guys working all year long because Mm. you know it just wasn't as it was a seasonal job, and it cost me more money to hire guys, train them, and and then lay them off because then I'd have to hire new guys the next Mm. year. And I decided to go into construction business and do kitchen and bath remodeling, Mm. um, and went on to build room additions. That grew so fast, so big that, uh, you know, I had this very successful, you know, general contracting business before getting into real estate.
1: Um, And about what year did you make the choice to get into real estate investment, not just being a contractor?
0: There's easier ways to ask me how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am, uh, let's see, it was 1990, Mm -hmm. I decided to go into real estate so
1: okay cool cool so you got on uh you started investing in real estate and tell us more about uh your investing career how you started and uh just a little background with um you know you you had a a setback in your life which we'll go through during this uh in the next few minutes here but um i met you mike through one of our attorneys we have one of the same attorneys and uh and I learned about your story, and that's why I brought you onto the podcast. So let us know about how you started in real estate and you grew this to 4,000 plus apartments or so. I mean, it, was, it must have been pretty fast.
0: Yeah, it was pretty fast. So, you, you know, 1990, 91, I decided to go into real estate. I knew nothing about real estate. I sold my construction business, woke up one morning, I was burnt out and looked at Mm -hmm. my wife at the time. I said, I can't do this anymore. You know how it is being an entrepreneur, Charles, you're doing all the sales, all the marketing, all Mm -hmm. the, all the bidding, all the work, you know? So I, I, I sold the company, took a year off. And during that year, I met a real estate agent who was very successful and went to him and said, Todd, I think I'd like to go in the business. And he said, I think you'd be great at it. Encouraged me to go in the business. I went in the real estate business. My first nine months, I sold 78 houses. I was wow. REMAX Rookie of the Year. I went on to build a team selling hundred over 100 listings a year, 125 listings a year, and did that consecutively for a number of years. 2005 rolled around. I saw the market starting to shift and soften and knew I would need to go do something different if I wanted to keep the production up. Or yeah. keep all those people. I had seven people working for me at the time, and didn't want to lay anybody off. So um, I decided to go in the apartment business. Here's what I understood: I understood that if you raise private equity, you marry it with a great real estate deal. The two stay together. You'll, you know, and everything goes well. You'll make money. So in two thousand five, I decided to venture out, raise some private equity, do my first multifamily deal, which I did. From there, I raised $18 million. I bought Hmm. 4,000 apartments. It was uh, $60 million worth of real estate. Bought that in five different markets and did it in Um, 30 months. Wow. Built a property management company at the same time managing 7,500 units. So I scaled a company pretty close to $100 million in value.
1: Hmm. Wow. That's... uh... That's 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 quite the quite the growth uh, that you had there in those thirty months. So you you had a little pullback, like say, um, and your what happened? And tell us about uh, you have seventy five hundred units that are under management. You have four thousand that you have equity in, and have investors in, I guess sixty million dollars. And what happened? That was the catalyst um, in two thousand eight with all these apartments and all this uh, investor money that uh, led to your. Um, you know, led, led to what happened in your life.
0: So I um, I grew way too fast, mm-hmm. right? In 2007, we bought 2,700 units. Uh, it was mm-hmm. 17 deals. Barely had time to breathe closing all those deals. And, and I thought I had a great team behind me stabilizing things, and, and that wasn't happening. So um, 2008 rolled around. I'm very unstable as a company. 2008's like hitting a wall in a freight train at 200 miles an hour. The whole world starts to implode. I start to come off the rails with my company. Now, I had done, I had hundred, uh, I'm sorry, I had uh, 38 different uh, companies at that point. And I realized that um, uh, they were unstable undercapitalized and over leveraged Charles I'm I own million dollars mm-hmm. worth of real estate at 85 percent loan to value wow. mm-hmm. nuts! you know when we underwrite today we're underwriting deals at 65 to 70 percent so um, so what happened was I had uh, I had about a dozen companies I should have just let go to foreclosure and let those investors get hurt but I don't want anybody to get hurt. I never like for anybody to have problems or issues. So I tried to save everybody. Hey, you know, I thought it was a recession. It was gonna last 17 or 18 months. There'd be a 10 or 12% correction in the marketplace, but it lasted seven or eight years with a 40% correction in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. A little hard to weather that storm. So I, um, I wound up coming off the rails. Um, Tried to protect all my investors and I started to move money back and forth between companies. So I took money from uh, companies that were running well and putting it in companies that were not running well and -hmm. trying to prop up the cash flow, which in turn um, was fine. You know, my accountant, my attorney both said it's okay to do that. Just make sure that you leave a paper trail. And we did that. And, you know what the market never bounced back. So I didn't Hmm. disclose it to my investors. And because of non-disclosure to my investors, I wound up being charged on wire fraud and mail fraud charges and sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. Wow!
1: So when you were going through that, uh, these properties that you're buying must've been quite the value add if they weren't stabilized at all. So you had a lot of debt on them, 85% loan to value which was very normal back then. They get, I remember this, uh, pretty well. And then at that point, what happened was that you're buying properties that uh, need a lot of work or they weren't rented or whatever it might be unstabilized. And, um, then that kind of started the whole, that was really what you would say is the callous, obviously the, the market of 2008, was it, but in your own thing, cause we had rentals and we didn't buy anything that was unstabilized during this time for the most part. And, um, and we didn't really have too many issues. So your issue was really just a lot of unstabilized properties and a lot of properties without renters in them.
0: Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we were buying a lot of value add stuff uh, where occupancies were maybe in the high 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, banks were throwing money at you though, yeah. you know, and they were letting you do value add stuff like that, limited reserves. And you know, I don't know who was worse at that time, me for taking the money or the banks for giving it to us at 15% mm-hmm. down, right? So, so somebody had to, you know, uh, take responsibility, Mm. you know, according to the feds. And so, um, I wound up going to prison though, as a result of it. And, uh, 2013, I went away on a 10 year prison sentence and I thought my life was over, I, you know, thought that it was done. And so I'm in prison about 17 days. and, And here's what I always tell people is I never flew private. I didn't have a boat. I didn't have a big house. I didn't have a fancy car I was the neighborhood baseball coach. I was home every night for dinner. My wife and I had a great marriage. We were best friends and I got ripped from that to live in a 12 by 12 room with three men I didn't know, nor did I like, and had, you know, three green outfits and five pairs of underpants. And, um, like I said, wondering what happened in my life. And I was in prison about 17 days. And while I was gone, my, my wife decided to divorce me um, about three weeks in and it wrecked me. And then I was really like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? You know, and Charles, I, I, a couple things I really believe in my life. Number one, success leaves clues. I went to that real estate agent early on, learned what to do, went into business and just, you know, followed some basic fundamentals and was very mm-hmm. successful as a result of it. Lesson two, uh, that we um, have defining moments in our life, that things happen to us and all of a sudden we go, wow, what, you know, what do I do now? yeah So I'd gone from running marathons to being 35 pounds overweight. I hate myself. You know My wife left me, my family's a mess. I'm in prison. How am I gonna get through? The joke was, hey, let's take his shoelaces because we think that he's gonna hurt himself. And um, I walk into gym one day about six weeks in. And this guy walks up to me and he says, hey, don't let these people beat you. He said, all they want to do is take from you everything you've ever known. And they can take your real estate. They can take your business. They can take your money. They can destroy your family, but they can't take who you are. They can't take Mm -hmm. what made you, what helped you to build those companies you built. He said, you can get all that back. He said, you can get this 10 years back. He said, come to the gym every day, work out, start losing weight, start feeling better, start liking yourself again. I mean, it just, I don't know where the wisdom came from. And, and, and I did that. I said, I'll take you up on the challenge. And I started going to the gym. I came home in the best physical shape of my life I'd ever been in. My, um, I went to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology I wrote two books while I was gone. One is Exit Plan, Your Complete Guide to Multifamily Investing and and Why You Need an Exit Plan Before You Buy. I wrote an ethics course. I taught real estate investing, property management, and ethics in prison for uh, six years. I was on an outreach program. I went into the community, told my story to small business owners, uh, local college students. And then I met a professor from the University of Minnesota that... Um he and I co-authored a paper together that we got published this year in the Business Journal of Ethics, which gets taught at the collegiate level for forensic accounting and sales and marketing classes. Mm. So as much as my life got wiped out, I turned everything around. And today, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just full of life and resilience, rebuilding my life today. I'm in the coaching and training space. Yeah hopefully teach people how to build a multifamily business without burning out with living a balanced lifestyle and without making mistakes. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, that's very powerful. And it's great that, uh, you were able to uh, speak to that person at when they spoke to you. Um, cause that changed the whole trajectory, I think of your, that, that 10 years. But, um, so what were some main takeaways, obviously you wrote books on um, property management you taught it and, um, obviously not commingling cash anymore. But the thing is that what main takeaways you're having, you're you're underwriting a lot more conservatively. Uh, What other kind of, uh, what do you, what did you learn that you're now implementing into your real estate investing business?
0: Yeah, great question. So, you know, like I said, grew way too fast. Today, Mm -hmm. I'm more systematic about the growth. You know, Mm -hmm. recently I've been approved to to go back and, and do deals, be an issuer again, and be a sponsor. So that's been nice. Um, got a legal opinion on that and back, you know, building a business, building a multifamily. I'm, I'm in the trenches with my coaching clients. So when I, when I partner, you know, I partner with, with my coaching clients. So it's kind of nice. Um, what, uh, what, what the first thing I learned was don't grow too fast, make sure you mm-hmm. take your time. You know, an old carpenter uh, taught me. He said, "You cut twice." Or, I'm sorry, measure one, measure twice, cut once, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's the philosophy today. Is we check mm-hmm. everything a couple of times before we pull the trigger. Uh, so I was undercapitalized; didn't raise enough money. Mm-hmm. You know, another okay. thing I did was the market was so hot then, Charles, similar to how it is today. Mm-hmm. I thought I was. I would. I would create this selling technique. In my offerings and I pulled some language out of what out of my PPMs that said, hey, we'll you will never have to cap it will never have to do a cash call. Hmm. So I, I tied my hands wow. by, by not being able to go back to my investors and saying, hey, we have a problem. We need more capital in the deal because we were restricted from doing that because I didn't think the market would do what it did and that we would always be able to. Uh, have excess of cash coming in. Hmm. So that was an issue. Uh, didn't raise enough money. So I didn't have enough in reserves or sitting on the sideline to weather any type of a storm, uh, over leveraged. I was 15% mm-hmm. down on $60 million worth of real estate as 85% out loan to value. That's crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, um, uh, you know, I didn't listen to the details around me. So, you know, quick story: um, I was closing a deal in 2008. I'm in a in a closing room in Cincinnati, and I'm waiting for my office to wire $500,000 to the closing, and and it's not coming, not coming. Finally, my partner gets on the phone, and I can't get a hold of him all day. Can't figure out where he's at but he gets on the phone and he's like, Hey, I don't know how to tell you this. And I'm like, you don't know how to tell no. me, <laughs> you know, what do you think? You know, you need $500,000 to close a deal. And now all of a sudden your partner says this, well, he had moved money from an escrow account. And I just went crazy. I was like, Hey, listen, we had this conversation before we went into business. You never do that. Well, you know, I never tell my wife about business. I never talked to my wife about business. She just worried about everything. And this was the same thing. I I come home on Wednesday. Um, I I dry close that deal. We sign all the paperwork, say I'll have it funded by Tuesday. I come home over the weekend. I wind up raising more money, giving some equity away on the deal, bringing some investors in. And we got that deal closed. But on Friday night, I go out to dinner with my wife and my partner and his wife. And on the way home from dinner, remember, I don't talk to my wife about business. She doesn't know what happened on Wednesday. On the way home, she says, I don't trust him. I'm like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to be a good husband. And I go, hey, honey, I got this. I got your back. We're fine. You're safe. Everything's good. When really, I should have said, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. What am I missing? Right. And I, I tell that story because we don't pay attention to the details around us. We get so focused with the blinders on that we don't watch the peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. So on Wednesday, the following week, I'm out to lunch with my attorney, and we're leaving lunch. We're in the parking lot, and this a longtime friend does all my business stuff for me. Puts his arm around me and he says, "Hey, I want to talk to you." I said, "Okay." He said, "I don't like what I see going on in your business. I don't like what your partner's doing. I don't like where things are going." So I've got two people within five days of each other that are telling me they don't trust my partner and I've got my blinders so tight on that I'm not paying attention. And I say, I got this under control and I didn't have anything under control. So I say that because I want people to pay attention, watch the details around you know if something's off kilter, if you need to do something different. So,
1: that's very interesting. I have a mentor of mine uh, years back, and he would tell me that uh, always he would always bring his wife with him um, to dinner or anything like this to meet uh, high end, higher level, uh, uh, higher level jobs that they were um, that they were you know, uh, when they, you know, they had people coming on for their business and higher level positions, he'd always have his wife meet them. And, uh, it's something that stuck with me is that, uh, I take my wife with me when we're going and, uh, meeting partners or potential partners or anything like this. So it's something that, uh, I've heard that a number of times, and that's great that, uh, I mean, you've seen that. And then obviously, um, your, your, your other professional there saw it as well, your accountant or whatever it was that, uh, he noticed what was happening as well.
0: You know, Charles, um, we think we're so smart. Well, I, I I firmly believe that God matches us with our spouse because mm-hmm. they're smarter than we are. So <laughs> we need to pay attention to what they say, you know.
1: So um Mike, going forward, tell us about what you're what you're doing now. Uh mm-hmm. you're still in obviously multifamily, you're doing deals. I know you're doing you did one, you're doing another one, or a few in Tampa is one of your big markets. Um, like tell us what you've got going on now for your company.
0: Yeah um so you know i'm in the coaching and training space i Mm -hmm. work with real estate investors and entrepreneur you know entrepreneurs multifamily investors helping them scale their business helping them coaching them helping them build their business and i i really have a passion for the business and have a passion for helping people um i also i'm back in the trenches so i'm you know actively seeking out underwriting And putting deals under contract and raising private equity. So we're out building business. We're out building a a multifamily portfolio. I've taken a couple of my coaching clients. We've gone and found a great family office to work with great key principal Mm -hmm. that we've brought to the table. We've all come to the table and are building this platform that Um, you know, we'll probably scale that business, you know, somewhere around 1000 units in the next year is where we'd like to get. So it's kind of the goal we're shooting for. Uh,
1: So as a coach, what is your advice to new multifamily investors when they reach out to you? I mean, do you suggest them to uh, do a deal 100% themselves before raising money? Or when should they feel comfortable taking money from investors? Because I get this question all the time. So I'd like to hear your, your input on it
0: It depends on the person, Mm -hmm. right? And it depends on their goals and what they want to accomplish. Hey, I went from selling residential real estate to raising $18 million in 30 months, you know, what do you want to accomplish and how, how fast do you want to do it? Um, but, but systematically. So I always tell people, I say, listen, let's get really clear first on your goals and your why. Let's get the clarity down, because when the tough times come, you're going to need to tap into what's really important Mm -hmm. and tap into that. So we start there and then we start with two key principles, which are building relationships and strategic alliances. How do we build those relationships and build strategic alliances? What does that look like? And and it's going to every person is different is what I find, right? Because some have relationships, some don't have any. How do we teach people how to do that? And then the next piece is sourcing and locating deals on market, off market. You know, part of that relationship thing is these brokers today, Charles, are so busy
1: mm-hmm. to
0: try and get a return phone call. You know, and there's tips and techniques that people need to work into their languaging when they call mm-hmm. a broker. And these are things that, that I've developed over time that I teach people how to do
1: yeah, that's definitely true. They have thousands of people on their email list. And when they send it out and you're contacting back, you know, they're. Um, that's what you see too. Like when you're putting a lot of um, offers in on properties, they, they pretty much are sending you out a questionnaire on who you are and uh, what you've done and what you're doing currently and who's on your team and how many units you have and all stuff. And um, I mean, that weeds on a lot of people because they don't want to waste time. And uh, you have to know how to speak to these brokers and how to deal with these brokers, you or someone on your team. And uh, to be able to be successful in actually closing deals, especially where we are now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You couldn't have said it better.
1: So what are common mistakes you see other real estate investors making now? I mean, I imagine you saw a lot of mistakes happening now that happened uh, in 05, 08. Um, so give us a little background on what you see maybe um, might be different from these two periods or that you're seeing um, just uh, a normal thing that's happening.
0: Yeah. So, you know, there's that old cliche that says, if you, the only time you lose is when you quit, right? right. I see people quitting too early. So mm-hmm. they get in the business, they try the business, uh, they don't get a deal done, they quit. I underwrote a hundred deals to write seven LOIs to buy my first deal, to get my first one hundred under <laughs> Okay. What are you willing to do? I, I work with an investor that, you know, writes a hundred offers a week to buy one or two deals a month. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are you willing to do to get outside your box to stretch yourself? I believe that, that we all need to stretch personally to grow professionally. We don't grow professionally till we grow personally. and And that's mm-hmm. part of, that's part of what coaching is too, is, is how I work with people and stretch them. But, but here's, you know, people need to underwrite more and they need to underwrite more conservatively. Mm-hmm. They need to stop yeah. promising investors today these these returns of 20% because yeah. they're not there anymore. And as mm-hmm. the interest rates come up and we move closer into inflation, returns are going to change. I have a good friend who's, who's underwriting deals today at 50-50. They're raising 50% equity. And they're only paying their investors five to six percent cash on cash, no IRR, no equity in the deal. So it's time to start changing because the market is gonna it's gonna fall. The question becomes when. And I certainly don't want to be a doomsday uh, person yeah. here. And I tell people keep investing. I'm still investing. Just change how you're doing it. Yeah. You know I made these mistakes before. I was over leveraged, under the market was so robust. I didn't think it was going to fall. Don't fall into those traps today. You know, make sure you're doing something different.
1: Yeah. I see that a lot too with um, when we're putting together deals or when we're I'm looking at other people's deals that they're sending to us, you know, I imagine you're on a lot of those email lists too, and you're reviewing what people are doing and uh, very highly leveraged. And, um, you know, I start seeing deals that are going into the 20% plus and yeah, you know, it's you know that's stuff we were seeing a few years ago, right? But it's it's now, you know, it's I think that it's very difficult um, with these business plans because yeah, rents are going up and we hear that everywhere. Rents are going up and everybody's focused on these states with a lot of population growth and that's great, but you know, rent going up uh, year year over year in uh, let's say Orlando for twenty two percent. I mean, that's just not going to continue. I mean, there's not the income, especially with inflation. Wages aren't going to go up with it. It's just not going to happen. Now, is it going to be better than buying somewhere, um, you know, I don't know, in the Midwest or something? Maybe, I guess. But it's, is it, uh, it's, you're just not going to have that continued growth of, uh, you know, where we've been going for so many years. And now, I mean, we're going in, uh, you know, 10, 11 years, 12 years into this, uh, this market.
0: Right, right.
1: So, but, um, so what do you think the main factors
0: are that have contributed to your success? Oh, my tenacity. Um, uh, you know, i I think in my bio there, it says that I have, a, you know, I live a resilient life. Um, I won't, I, I won't allow the past to dictate my future. Um, I, will learn from the lessons and, and continue to push forward. You know, I had somebody, I was probably in the real estate business three years and I had, a, I walked in a client's house and he went, man, Murawski, you are so tenacious. I had no idea what the word meant, you know? I I said very graciously, I said, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, Hoping that it was positive. Went home, grabbed the dictionary and I went, damn, that is me. I don't give up. You know, I had a mantra when I was selling real estate that um, you would either list with me or you die. You know, that was it. So because I follow up and follow up and, and that's how you have to be as an investor. You have to be diligent about it. It's a tenacious business. You know, we're running a marathon here, not a sprint. So. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's it's, um, it's amazing how similar what you're doing is, um, or what we're doing is within sales and marketing, where you keep on getting yourself out in front of people, in front of buyers or sellers, in front of your agents, brokers that are listing. And, uh, you know, hey, when you have something, hey, when you have something, if you're, you know, and especially the same thing with investors. I mean, you got to keep those plates rolling of deals and uh, also of, um of money coming in so that you can do deals and, uh, and be able to, uh, close on them when they come across.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Mike?
0: Oh, great. I love the network. So anybody wants to pick my brain, has a question, call me, you know, I'm, I'm accessible, very accessible. Um, you know, uh, you can email me at Mike at mycoreintentions.com. Um, I'm huge on social media, so wherever you hang out, I hang out. Uh, whether it's me personally or or my business, my core intentions, you can uh, find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, so podcasts, and um, you know, go grab a free copy of uh, Exit Plan. You can download that for free at my website. You can go to mycoreintentions.com forward slash Exit Plan. And then uh, all I ask is that you send me a review what you thought of the book. That's all.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I'll put in uh, in the notes section here, your website, the website address for the free book, and then also your email address.
0: Perfect. Thanks.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on today, Mike. Looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. Have a great rest of your week.
0: You too, Charles. Thank you. It was an honor.
1: Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for
0: profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars LLC exclusively.